electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Tonight, a very special last call. We are coming to you live from the beautiful Tin Building here in Lower Manhattan, home of food, home of drink, and home of fun. But we are also here for a serious reason, because you're going to hear all about the economy, inflation, the consumer, housing, and whether or not we will all go back to the office, you know, full-time, five days a week. And we know you've got a lot of opinions on that. And to do it, we've got a power list of power players. Howard Hughes, CEO, David O'Reilly. It's their building. Commercial real estate legend Don Peebles, Best Friedman, CEO of residential real estate powerhouse Brown Harris Stevens, Blade CEO Rob Wiesenthal, hotelier Ian Schrager, and world-renowned chef Jean-Georges Fungerichten, because, hey, this is his home, and these are his restaurants and bars. All that and maybe some surprises. We'll see over this big hour. So, hey, what a perfect place to say, the only upper buckle up, because last call is up right now. All right, hi, everybody. Welcome again from the Tin Building in New York's historic seaport. This is the little former home of the Fulton Street Fish Market. Remember that? Right in the shadow of the Brooklyn Bridge, we are surrounded by some of Manhattan's most vibrant and most colorful history, as you will soon see. This place here, the Tin Building, is packed with restaurants, bars, retail shops, even a market. And by the way, John George's TV studio. But first up tonight, the real story with inflation and how it is playing out in the financial markets. Let's start with some of the encouraging news that we learned today. Inflation in July climbing at a cooler rate than expected, backing out food and energy costs because, you know, we don't drive or eat. Costs are only up 4.7 percent. Yes, still hot, but the lowest rate since October of 2021. As you can see, broadly speaking, the trend is better. Take gasoline price. Yeah, we know. We know. They're starting to creep up again, but overall, they are lower than one year ago. Also, cost of health care, it is down a touch as well, thankfully. And for all of you schlepping to LaGuardia or Newark, some good news. Airfares are actually falling from their end of pandemic insanity. But unlike this place, it is not all wine and roses with the economy. Wages, they barely budged higher, which makes it hard to keep pace with inflation. Remember, inflation is just a fancy way of saying that your dollar goes less far. And one of the biggest issues right now, of course, we all know, housing. Nationally, home prices up nearly 8% from a year ago, and the rent, to uh, <coughs> paraphrase, is too darn high. And so is car insurance, by the way. Have you noticed? Car insurance is up, on average, almost 18% in a year. And get this, booze at a bar also keeps going up as well. So here's the bottom line. We said a lot. Inflation right now, is a mixed grocery bag. You got some good news, you got some not so good news. So maybe, maybe more interest rates hikes on the horizon, call that Fed inflation. All right, 
Let's kick off last call by breaking down how all of this may balance out for your money after what has been, and let's be honest, a pretty doggone good start to the year or mid-year for stocks. And bring in our friend Tom Lee of Fundstrat in person on this epic hour. Tom, thanks for coming down here as well. You've been one of the bulls. You have been right. Inflation is coming down. The market has been, I think, soaring is a pretty good word. We're up 17% year to date. But what have you done for us lately? Where are we going from here, Tom? Uh, well, Brian, I think that was a great rundown you gave. Uh, There's a lot there. Yeah, but <laughs> I think as people peel the onion, this was a very good inflation report because it's setting up for the next two months to see inflation slow even further. Because the things that you mentioned, like core services, X housing, that came in at 0.22, like 4% year over year, but you're dropping two big months of August and September last year. So the next two months, that thing's going to start to fall. I think markets should have rallied pretty hard today on, on the just, inflation report. Well, they did. We were up 400 at one point of the Dow. We ended in the green just a touch, but we came down. We lost that 400. Is the Federal Reserve done raising rates? Or with today's number, is it you know possible we get another rate hike? Uh, yes. Yeah, so let's say I was originally in a 60% chance that July was the last hike. I think it's now in the 80% range. I, I okay. think that the Fed is done hiking for the cycle. There's a big difference between done hiking and starting cutting. And you know, listen, we're in the media. I fully accept this blame, folks. We're either one, all or nothing, right? Yeah. Is there any talk of a rate cut at any time soon, or is that just nonsense? And we're going to have to live here for a couple of years. Uh, I think rate cuts are definitely coming next year. Let's say that really? most people think it's second half because the Fed doesn't want to tighten rates. But if inflation's falling, they have to cut rates. Otherwise, it's actually constricting the economy more. I, I think they're going to be thinking about cuts early next year. Is that one reason stocks have done well? Not just here, by the way. Around the world, Europe has done well, number of emerging markets. But is that the reason that we're seeing a 40% jump on the NASDAQ this year? Is that all you guys, you know, the hedge, your hedge fund buddies, they're looking out 9 to 12 months. And they're looking out maybe at those cuts and that added, because stocks generally go up when there's more liquidity, not less liquidity. That's right. And, you know, I think the stock market's just looking at the tenure at four and saying, you know what, a 4% tenure, even if it's there for five years, is actually a decent level for the stock market because it's, it's a high enough rate to keep too much capital from forming, but it's a, it's, it's a low enough rate for companies to earn a lot of money. So it's, it, historically, it's nirvana for PE. The PE should be closer to 20 times if we can see the 10-year state around 4%. Yeah, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when 4% was considered impossibly low. That's right. And by the way, when I, that was like four years ago. <laughs> yeah. And now we're doomed at 4 But I, I think the, the bears would make the argument, Tom, 4% by itself, not bad. 4% with a trillion-plus deficit heading to $50 trillion in national debt, a trillion in consumer credit card debt, Eight couple trillion in, in housing yes. debt. That it's it's the level of debt, not the level of borrowing cost. That's the problem. That's right. All the things you described threaten the dollar as a reserve currency. The dollar's held up great. I think when the if the dollar really starts to weaken, then we have to worry that four percent isn't the right rate because they're going to have to raise the rate. But I I think for now the stock markets and bond markets are saying dollars the, cons we end the, the currency. We putting you on the spot. I know we end the year higher in the S and P 500 than we are right now. Uh, absolutely. I, I think we're going to take out all time highs uh, wow. before the end of the year. 
Should have led with that. Tom, I should have. Tom Lee. Is that like a fishy end to this? We're going <laughs> to... The market will not is not going to pull a Luca Brazzi. It's not going to be sleeping with those fishes. But hopefully we'll be eating those fishes at about 8.15. Tom Lee, thank you very much. Appreciate it, my man. All right. So we just talked about the macro, but here's the micro. What happened to your money today? Markets overall up just a touch. We told you, by the way. Better news than it looks because at one point the Dow was up 400 points. So at least a tiny finish of the green is positive. By the way, speaking of inflation... The big winner today, Disney. That stock is up. It raised the prices on Baby Yoda and Boba Fett and streaming yet again. They rose nearly 5%. The big decliner was retailer Tapestry. That's the parent company of Michael Kors and Jimmy Choo tanking. They're spending billions on a deal to buy a competitor. We'll give you more on that coming up. We are just getting started here. And coming up for the tin building in Lower Manhattan, the CEO of the company who built this temple to taste. And that is David O'Reilly of Howard Hughes Corp. Plus... We're going to hit real estate with heavy hitters Don Peebles and Bess Friedman. And then later on, it's his house and we're just living in it. World famous chef Jean Georges will lay out the biggest challenges his global restaurant empire faces right now. Think fish prices. Don't go away. We're back right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Last Call Live for the Tin Building in New York Seaport. Now, this place, this, this Tin Building thing is new. The location and the building is not. In fact, this exact location was once home to one of the most famous places in New York. 200 years ago, in 1822, the Fulton Street Fish Market opened in New York City's seaport. Back then, a thriving commercial and shipping hub. The fish market became one of the world's largest seafood markets, one of the most important places in the city, provided jobs for the city's growing immigrant community. We're showing you videotape scenes this morning of the Fulton Street Fish Market here in New York. But the promise of the Fulton Street Fish Market was soon met with the reality of the Lower East Side in parts of the 20th century. You had crime, the mob, 
and the building destroyed in a massive fire in 1995. Some city officials agree the fire at the Fulton Fish Market was suspicious. Was the mob sending a message to the mayor? If there is anyone that is responsible for this, they're not going to disrupt the operations of these businesses. Eventually, the fish market rebuilt, but was relocated to the Bronx, leaving the designated landmark vacant. When I came down in 1969, my dad said, don't get too comfortable because we're moving to the Bronx. Now, a new chapter, just like the city it inhabits, built on the bones of the past, but for a better future. And that's where Howard Hughes Corp stepped in, developing a new mecca for food in partnership with Michelin-starred and world-famous chef Jean-Georges Von Gerichten. The bustling culinary destination has six restaurants, six fast casual spots, and three bars, all located right under the Brooklyn Bridge, and all inspired by the rich history of the Fulton Street Fish Market, paying homage to New York City's global influences. And by the way, after the show's over, our goal is to hit all of those spots before they close tonight. Howard Hughes CEO David O'Reilly is with us now, also known as the developer of this building and the booming Summerlin, Nevada, and basically a new city west of Phoenix and a bunch of other projects. David, it's great. Thank you for having us because we're in, in your house. Well, welcome. Welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here. What? Listen, this area, I actually got a chance to see the Fulton Street Fish Market. That's how old I am. C- cool spot. It burned down. The area got a little bit rough, got a little bit grim down here for a while. What did you guys see? in this area and in this building? Well, not only was it a little bit rough at the time, but then after Superstorm Sandy a little over 10 years ago, this whole area was in need of reimagination, revitalization, redevelopment. Yeah. And there was to water in this, a lot of these streets. Oh, without fish, a doubt. And not those fish. And, no, with, yeah, and this building itself was 10 feet lower, 20 feet to the west. Um, and we had to move it to get it above the floodplain and rebuild, the restructure all of the pilings underneath not just this building, but the entirety of Pier 17, which is our world-famous concert venue, as well as a host to another six restaurants. And just see this place come back to life, yeah. and not just come back to life for tourists, but for New Yorkers, for those well, that live in the too, and A lot of people may not realize, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop the name of another network, ESPN. ESPN, if you watch a lot of their shows in the morning, they're right here. Yes. Their, their studios, that shot you see is literally in the building behind us as well, and this, and that, and some other things, have really provided an anchor, I guess seaport pun intended, to the rest of the area. Do you have any more investment plans for Manhattan, or are you done here? You know, we have a, a lot that we own. It's a little over an acre known as 250 Water Street, which is just, just west of us, uh, that we're in the process of going through the approvals, final approvals, to build 600,000-plus square feet of residential units. Residential. For rents, okay. with ground floor retail, three floors of office, that will have an element of affordable housing in it, 20% of the units. Is, is three floors of office, three floors too many in this market right now? Look, I think there's great office and there's office that's gonna die and great office that's highly amenitized, access to outdoor space and walkability to incredible amenities like this will always continue to thrive. And those are the type of office spaces that tenants continue to fill. We see it throughout our portfolio in Summerlin, in the Woodlands, and here in New York, if you have short commutes, great amenities, and world-class dining and experiences near your office, your workers want to come back. I didn't even mention the Woodlands. I mean, you, you guys, you don't build neighborhoods. You build cities. You're basically, Summerlin, you built a town. The Woodlands, you built a vibrant city north of Houston. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're building Phoenix. You're about ready to sell your first home. 
any sign of wage inflation, material inflation, anything either moderating or actually coming down, David? I wouldn't say coming down. What we're seeing is a moderation in inflation and even a flatlining. And the construction costs that we see today are very similar to six months ago, still meaningfully elevated over the past three years, but starting to flatline a little bit. Um, And when you're spending a billion and a half to two billion dollars a year in both horizontal and vertical development, that's really impactful for the Howard Hughes Corporation. Yeah. And talk talk to us about labor, because, I, you know, I'm going to I'll editorialize a little bit. There's certain parts of our immigration policy I just don't understand. From a, it, some, they just, I'll say it. It seems stupid. Okay, we, we need more immigration here, particularly H-1B visas, skilled tradespeople, doctors, whatever it may be. Would you be in support of that? Would you Would you say we need people that want to come here, want to live here, and by the way, are skilled, willing to work, and can help you help the rest of the country? develop and build because everybody I hear, no matter what the industry is, can't find people. I'm not a politician and I'm not going to make this a political speech, but I would say just trying to find the 600 folks to populate this building as our workforce took us almost a year. 600 people. 600 people. In a city of eight and a half million. That that were reluctant to work in the food service industry for a world famous Michelin star chef like JGV. To me, that was a, a, a real sign that if we don't fix that, if we don't fix our, our population of skilled workforce, we're going to have continuing And by problems. the way, I've, I've been, I got a tour when you're with, I won't call him JGV, you can. I don't know him that well, Jean-Georges. <laughs> Everybody's just been amazing, skilled, wonderful. Do you have the people to build out Phoenix? We absolutely do. And that type of workforce in Phoenix does exist. And when you're building a city, as you said, and you're going to keep folks busy for 50 years of development, you tend to get the attention of those that are the skilled workers in that market. If we were going to be there for one building and then leave town, I might have a different answer to that question. Okay, well, we'll we'll keep having you back on, maybe here, maybe in Summerlin, where Mark Wahlberg just moved, and I think is... It's now, he's opening his production studio there, right? We're partnering with him and Sony and working with the Nevada State Legislature to pass a bill that would enable us to build over a $600 million production studio in partnership with them. Amazing. David O'Reilly, thank you so much. How are you, you, CEO? Really appreciate it. Just a spectacular place here. We're going to fill it up tonight for you. Not that you need our help, but whatever. <laughs> we'll take the credit. David, thank you. All right. Thank you. On deck. We just talked a little bit about it. We're going to talk more about it. Real estate and really two huge issues. First, the cities where almost no one is still back at the office five days a week. We've got the list. And a bonkers New York City rental stat's going to probably, if you don't live here, make you feel a lot better about whatever you're paying. That's next. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.
All right, welcome back to Last Call. If you are just tuning in, we are not in studio. We are live from New York's new landmark, Tin Building, but we are also talking all about the American economy. Major flashpoint right now, you know, is housing, residential, and also commercial real estate. And the, the big issue with commercial real estate, or one of, is kind of hollowed out downtowns with high vacancy rates in certain areas. And Castle Systems, which tracks people swiping in and out of buildings, puts out a list of the cities with the highest and lowest weekday occupancy rates in office building, the lowest five of the major metros, New York right here, DC, San Francisco, Philadelphia, and the lowest return to office, San Jose, right? Silicon Valley, Tech Central. But even as commercial goes down in parts of America, residential, particularly rents, are still strong or even going higher. Case in point, right here, New York. And get ready to sit down or stand up if you're seated. The rent on an average Manhattan apartment is now 5588 bucks a month. A two or three bedroom apartment, you know, you got a family, a couple of kids, a couple of dogs, whatever, can easily be more than $10,000 per month in Manhattan. Let's talk now about both sides of the real estate market. We got our friend Don Peebles, founder, chairman, and CEO of the Peebles Corporation, major developer, and best Friedman CEO, Brown Harris Stevens. Uh, welcome. Thanks for both schlepping, I think that's the appropriate New York term, down here. Best, first start to you. I mean, Okay, for our viewers and listeners in Ohio or Dallas, they just fell over. They can't imagine these prices for like a box. How much higher can rents or real estate go in New York? I mean, I think it's a bit of an enigma to everyone that the prices have, the velocity and the prices have gone up, up, up. And part of that has to do with the fact that potential buyers have sat out because rates have been high. And I think that's put a lot of strain on inventory. But last time I spoke to you, we were talking about how high the rents were and yeah. they just keep going up. I think eventually it's going to cool off, but I can't, I wish I could tell you when. I can't macro and, and, forecast. And higher interest rates haven't seemed to matter. Nothing has seemed I, to matter. I know. It's, a, it's put a lot of stress. There's enormous frustration. Talk to a lot of friends and family and clients who are very upset and frustrated with the market. There's not a lot of inventory out there. And what is out there is expensive, and there's a lot of competition for it. But it's New York City, which is an outlier. The rest of the country, we're seeing a little bit of slowing down, and things are starting to shift a bit. I think that will happen happen in New York, but it's going to take a little bit of time. And remember, it's seasonal too, Brian. Remember, this is the best time for the rental market. The summer months are when 80% of leases get signed. So that also plays into this a little bit. So if you're going to lease, maybe now is not. That's exactly, that's a very important point. <laughs> well, if you have to, you have to, I guess. You know what I do? It's all about location, 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 Don. And I think that's so true. Listen, Manhattan, right? It's not perfect, but I feel like New York City has really come back. I've traveled probably like you have all over the country the last two years. New York City feels vibrant. Look where we are, it's packed. D.C., not so much. You got a lot of properties in D.C. Uh, I know President Biden has been, there was an Axios report. It's gonna mandate people back to the office five days a week. Do you support that? Absolutely, I think, well, first of all, Washington, D.C. Is, is at a high risk of almost being destroyed as a city. If people don't come back to work, I mean, D.C. is a federal city. It relies very heavily on the presence of the federal government and federal government employees. Um, so I think that the right move is getting federal government employees back to work. They should have been back to work a year ago, at least. Um, and New York has gotten stronger for a number of reasons. It's supply constrained. No real meaningfully new increases in inventory on the rental side um, since COVID. And so there's a supply shortage, there's a much greater demand, and people are priced out of the housing market and 
um, you know, residential condo prices and co-op prices have declined yeah. significantly. And so you're, I think New York, on the rental side, I think rents are going to keep going up. I believe, don't quote me on the number because I'm trying to go from memory on the Castle data. I think on Fridays, D.C. has under 25% office occupancy. And I know a lot of our viewers, I got friends watching that live out in Vienna and Falls Church, and they're like, I don't want to go back, I don't want to take the metro, traffic sucks, whatever it may be. But there's a lot of small businesses also being cratered. Yeah, they've been destroyed because they rely on the, the freak influx of people coming to work each day. I mean, New York City's the same. It relied on two million plus people to come visit Manhattan every day to come here and work. Same thing in Washington, D.C. In fact, even more so. Tourism has been down. That's beginning to pick up a bit. D.C. also has a public safety issue that is discouraging but tourism. But that's lack of people, too. That's, that's I mean, when, yeah. there's, when there's no one around, right. you feel unsafe. Yes. Your safety in numbers. Yeah. It's not hard. I, this yeah. is not genius. I'm, no, no, I don't think either of us is a former police chief. No. But this is not like no. Einstein level That's stuff. That's right. It's yeah. common I think sense. New York's gotten safer. Um, one from political policies. I think Mayor Adams has done a good job in terms of public safety. Right. But also, people are back in New York. New York's active. New York's busy. In fact, New York is cleaner than I've seen it in years. Uh, so DC has to clean up. They've got to get people back to work. But then look, we just closed on a on a land acquisition and development loan in Charlotte, North Carolina last week to build six apartment buildings and, and, and a hotel um, in downtown, and what's called Uptown in Charlotte. The market's doing exceptionally well in Charlotte. Uptown is the downtown uptown in Charlotte. Is the is in Charlotte. Exactly. By the way, exactly. greatest YMCA I've ever been to was in Charlotte. <laughs> it's like at the top of the Omni Hotel or something. Anyway, 90% of our CPI data today, Bess, yeah. 90% of the raise was shelter, which is a that. fancy word for where you have to live. Right. Is there, can you give, can you give people out there some, some optimism? Cause this is, if you're a 29 year old, recently married, trying to, you know, buy your first house, it's insane. It's overwhelming. It really is. And, and I think that some of the data that we're seeing, there's a lag. So you have to keep that in mind. And I do think it's going to take a little bit of time. The good news is that inflation has come down tremendously thanks to the red, the Fed hikes. That's been very good. And I think you're seeing consumers out there. There's good spending. Optimism is better. We're not going to have a recession. It looks like that's what... 7% interest rates have not seemed to do anything to residential housing. I'm not picking on any homes. I looked it up. I was trying to find an example. I went to a town I lived in as a kid, Encinitas, California, about 20 miles north of San Diego. Literally just went on Zillow, found a random house. It was $1.1 million. Yeah. It had sold in February for 900000 As far as I could tell, not a lot of improvements were made. Right. And it's three bedrooms and two baths. Yeah. I mean, and it's I, not on the water. It, it, it's crazy. I mean, that, that the housing market has been, I mean, look, during the pandemic, we saw it really impacted, and now we've seen this resurgence. But at some point, the trees can't grow to the sky, and I think things will, you know, hopefully start to teeter off a little bit. New York is tough. New York yeah, look, is tough. I mean, all the, I mean, look, Florida and other markets were having 30, 35% appreciation annually. That was heavily driven on interest rates. Most Americans get a mortgage on their home. They're yeah. concerned about a payment, not necessarily the price of yeah. the property. What well, can I afford? And every so month? now, yeah. as pay interest rates go up, prices start slowing down. So you're not seeing as much price growth, but interest rates have made payments go up. When I bought my first home in 1987, my interest rate was nine percent. When I was doing my first development deal, I paid nine and a half percent for a construction loan. Our business is efficient. 
people will adjust. But interest rates are going to be higher for a long time. And this generation is used to cheap money. They're not used to rates being this high. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you know, that's buried the lead, Bess. That's it. All out of free money. Free and super cheap money. That's it. It's over. You're paying. You're buying. That fish is on you tonight. We're going to whatever. Everybody. I'm That's a tile fish. It eats lobsters, apparently. It has sharp teeth. It's got to come with a lemon pizza, though. That's spectacular. That's best. So good. All right. Up next, a small company. It's growing with a big impact on how you travel. If you travel in circles like Don and Best, that is. The CEO of Blade <laughs> is here, plus legendary developer Ian Schrager on his hot new projects. What a heck of a good show. See you back right after this. Tin building in Lower Manhattan, and if if you're here or and need to get to the airport in Manhattan or some other cities ASAP, you might want to consider a Blade. Operating as the quote Uber of the skies, Blade offers on-demand helicopter services to areas around America. You can get from Manhattan to JFK Airport in about five minutes for the Takes price it. of an Uber. For the price of an Uber, <laughs> the CEO just told me. Blade operates. Places like New York, Miami, Los Angeles, Nantucket, some others. And also, by the way, charters wherever you may want to go. But with some signs of luxury spenders, maybe in some areas starting to pull back. How's Blade's outlook for the future? Joining us now, Blade CEO Rob Wiesenthal. Rob, great to have you on. Thank okay. you. And we just had Don and Bess on. They're both CEOs, obviously successful people, probably clients of yours as well. We talked about this work from home thing. You are the transporter of the ultimate high work from home. I know the hybrid. migration patterns of executives. What is the migration pattern? Help well, us out. Well, this summer, uh, specifically with leisure routes like, say, the Hamptons, uh, it's clear that uh, Wednesday is the new Thursday and Thursday is the new Friday. So the three-day work week, the hybrid, hybrid work week, people are working Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then they're leaving for their vacation homes or long weekends, whether it be Nantucket, the Hamptons, the Jersey Shore. They're leaving on Wednesdays. The next biggest day is Thursday, and that's because the people who are actually working five days a week, remember, used to have summer Fridays. That summer Fridays turned into leaving Thursday night. So what I'm expecting is in the fall, those five-day work weeks, the Fridays will be gone, they'll be working five days, and we'll see what happens to the hybrid. I could see that. Let's say companies just basically demand people back at the office five days a week. A lot of people are going to hate it. Yeah. I know I know because traffic's terrible, whatever. But I could see a scenario where that would be bullish for Blade because one thing you can't get back is time. That's right. That's right. And with traffic, I mean, we're turning to the airport. It's worse than pre-COVID around here. It's worse. Between between, uh, outdoor restaurants, new construction, infrastructure repairs, uh, it could be a two-hour drive to Kennedy Airport from the west side, and we're turning those into five-minute flights for $195. An Uber Black can easily run you north of 200. So we're seeing a lot of take-up rate in that. And this was a big summer. I mean, this was a very big summer. Travel was up for uh, the high end. And then especially, this was the summer of Europe for the ultra high end. We also operate in Nice, Cannes, Monaco, and Saint-Tropez. We saw a lot of volume there as well. Yeah, I've heard about those places. They're they're kind of nice. <laughs> uh, you know, so they say. They don't let me I've in. I've seen them in magazines. They, they don't let me in. But yeah, I think it was a band de soleil for the San Tropez. You're, you're aging yourself but, now. But you know, it's important. I, I am old, Rob. It's okay. <laughs> but your point about 195 bucks, people are like, oh, a helicopter. It's got to be thousands yeah, of dollars. Yeah, yeah. Like, we to, your, po- to your point, you get an Uber Black, 
like it can around here it could be 200 bucks easy, the airport. Easy, especially uh, on high traffic days. Uh, and I think people value their time. It's the one thing you really can't buy. It's tough to buy that. Uh, and JFK and Newark are seeing you know, record numbers. We're up 65%. Any sign of a slowdown in travel? Because you're like a leading indicator. Yes. The people that fly now, you. This second quarter up 65% in flights to the airport versus the second quarter last year. It's still growing. If you look at the TSA numbers, still growing. Uh, so we don't see any take up. We're past 2000 pre-pandemic numbers and a lot of different routes. Past pre-pandemic numbers. Fantastic. And by the way, I learned not as expensive as I would have thought. Rob Wiesenthal, thank you very thank much. Thank you for having me. A blade and good luck on the expansion. Appreciate it. All right, lots more to come here from New York City's Tin Building. We are not done yet. We're going to talk to the man who is in many ways the mastermind behind this entire mecca of food, and that is world-renowned chef Jean-Georges. He's up next. You won't want to miss it. Just because we're here live at the Tim Building does not mean we can't give you tomorrow's news tonight. It's the magic of television. First up, disgraced FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried appears before a federal judge in the afternoon right up the block from where we are now. The hearing will determine whether Bankman-Fried's bail will be revoked. Remember, he's out in this, what is it, $250 million bail? Prosecutors allege he engaged in witness tampering. Now, if that bail is revoked, Bankman-Fried will be going behind bars straight from the courthouse. That hearing scheduled to kick off at around 2 p.m. Eastern. Of course, CNBC will be covering it all day. Bankman-Fried accused of defrauding FTX investors of billions of dollars. He has pleaded not guilty. The trial will be split in two with the first scheduled for October 2nd. All right, next up, Archer Aviation flying high. Who is Archer Aviation? Well, kind of like what we just talked about. It's an air taxi company. They secured a $215 million investment from Stellantis, which is Dodge and Chrysler, as well as Boeing, United Airlines, and others for their vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. The investment also settles a two-year-old lawsuit from rival startup Whisk, which is backed by Boeing. Archer says the companies have reached a deal on autonomous flight collaboration. Shares of Archer Aviation, they are, I could say, soaring, but that's a cheap and easy Airline pun. Our Traviation stock is up 30% after hours. And finally, another twist in the streaming cable landscape. The NFL is shaking up its NFL Plus subscription package. NFL Plus can now include NFL Red Zone for fans that love to tune into games just as teams are nearing the end zone. The Red Zone, of course, the channel just shows games where people are about ready to score. Now, the plan, which would also include the NFL Network, is being offered directly to fans without cable for 15 bucks a month. So you get the NFL Plus where you can watch the games once they're over and the Red Zone. YouTube TV just recently signed a deal to carry the coveted Sunday ticket package, which includes Red Zone Sunday ticket previously held by DirecTV for 15 years. All right, meantime, let's talk about travel, mostly luxury travel. Ian Schrager is one of the leaders in the development of major residential, commercial, and, of course, hotel projects. Schrager was one of the original founders of the famed Studio 54 nightclub. He has since moved on to major products, including Delano and Miami Beach. 
the Mondrian in Los Angeles, and the famed boutique edition hotels in partnership with Marriott around the world. Let's talk about demand. Let's talk about prices. Ian Schrager joining us now. Uh, Ian, thank you very much for joining us. Certainly wish you could could be here, but you're off probably building out some new projects. You've got 160 Leroy in Manhattan. Uh, how do you see the residential development landscape, not just here, but nationally? Well, when you, first I'd like to talk about New York City. I think it should be the perfect time to start working on a residential project. Uh, by the time you would complete it, uh, the market will be back. Uh, it's a little slow right now. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty, but it, uh, uh, you can't bet against New York and you can't bet against the strength of the residential market. And I feel the same thing uh, is all over. There are pockets where prices have really gone through the roof and they're going to be resettling down and readjusting. But overall, it, uh, I look for long term health in the residential market. You know, I know, uh, Ian, we talk a lot about New York, talk a lot about Miami, talk a lot about L.A. I, these are the big wig cities in America now, a lot of money floating around. Do you look at projects in so-called second cities? Would you do projects in places not named New York or Miami? Yes, I would. Matter of fact, it's part of our strategy right now. Uh, when you look into these 24-hour gateway cities, you're competing and banging heads against a lot of other people. Uh, and the prices are being driven up. But there are secondary markets that are very vibrant, uh, cities that are emerging. I think Tampa is a great example, and I think Detroit is another very, very good example uh, where the opportunities are great, and uh, we look to expand in those secondary markets. We have a very aggressive strategy with that. I, lo- I love it. I love Detroit. A lot of friends there. I would love to see an Ian Schrager, maybe a public hotel or addition of Marriott. In Detroit, Ian Schrager, legend, uh, next time on set, sir. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. Coming up in person with a lot of food, legendary chef Jean-Georges Von Gerichten. He is here, and I'm going to see if we can maybe – the show's almost over. We could probably score some, some free booze before the show – anyway, we're back on last call right after this. today's New York's beautiful 10 building, how could the RBI not be about food? Because you all know how expensive food has gotten over the last few years. Well, today's read on inflation gave us a smidge of good news on the food front. Restaurant inflation is beginning to cool off a bit. In fact, the latest read shows the smallest monthly jump in over two years. Yes, we are still rising, but we are rising much more slowly. You can see the pace of increase declining. It's in part because some commodity costs are coming down. Now, you may not feel it at the store yet, but corn, wheat, even pork futures, lean hogs, we call them, are down this year. And thankfully, that inflation data also shows the price of eggs even. Even eggs is starting to come down. All right, that's the good news. But there's some other stuff going on with prices not as rosy. Prices for things like beef, sugar, and even cocoa to make chocolate, they are rising. Cocoa futures, and you don't pay, we don't talk about them much, they're up 37% in a year. So much maybe for that chocolate cake dessert, but that is nothing compared to this incredibly random but interesting point that you didn't ask for, but we're giving it to you anyway. 
The price of olive oil has gone berserk. It's up 30% in a year. It's now at a record bad weather in southern Europe. It's causing crops to shrink. Spain is down. And the Olive Oil Times newspaper, yes, there is an Olive Oil Times newspaper, reports Italy's crop will fall 27%. So given that and the fact that dairy and cheese prices rose again, tomato prices haven't come down, seems like maybe everybody's favorite low-cost family meal, the wonderful, magical, delicious pizza, may also get just a touch more expensive. Olive oil, random but delicious. And speaking of food, let's wrap it up with the man whose name literally is on the building, Jean-Georges Von Gerichten. If you've been living under a rock, he is one of the world's most famous chefs. Tin building, we're showing it to you now, home to some of his restaurants, markets, bars, brasseries, even a candy store, all part of his global empire that includes top-rated restaurants around the world, Paris, London, Sao Paulo, and many other places. Chef Jean-Georges. Brian, enchanté. Brian, it's so nice to have uh, you And this, okay, first off. Have you here, thank you. We, we, we just talked about the price. I want to say something about this pizza. You had a pizza earlier. This is the, <laughs> the best, most unique pizza I've ever had. It's it actually, is, what is it? Tell us about this. It's a pizza dough with the 80% hydration, three kinds of cheese, ricotta, fontina, mozzarella, lemon, confit lemon. From Morocco, so it's as well as my lemon. Lem- it's a lemon pizza. A lemon pizza doesn't exist in Italy, only which, in New York. Which sounds, look at that, oh my God, trust me, I had some, New York Times called it one of the, I think, 10 things you must eat. I know it looks unique, it's not pepperoni, it's spectacular. I know the price went up for everything, but it's all about quality today. People want to know where things come from. Traceability, very important. And people, here we use only organic, local as much as we can fish from small boats on, you know, try to make it delicious, memorable, great experiences. And, and you... And or maybe th- a little more vegetables. Yeah, and, and listen, you're obviously known as not only one of the leading chefs in the world, but leading business chefs. You have built an empire because you're obviously very adept at business, but you started 16, Strasbourg, France, moved to America. You actually used to, tell us, you used to buy fish when this was the South Street Seaport. I mean, this year I've been cooking for 50 years. And when I arrived in New York in 1986, the first stop I do as a chef, I came to the market here. The Fulton Street Fish Market. On the building was a Literally guys throwing fish across the room. There was no fridges. Maybe a little mob, little, little mob activity. Actually, one day I came with a, somebody gave me his car to come to buy some fish. When I went back to my car, I was missing the wheels. But I bought, I bought back the fish. You got the fish. I got the fish. I don't know how you brought it back. Your car got. Your <laughs> I took a cab. But this building is about twelve concepts, six counters, six sit-down restaurants. We have Chinese. We have uh, Japanese, French. We have uh, pizza, Italian. We have. Uh, how do you decide? Mexican. How do you decide? I'm just going to start eating, and you can just finish yes, the please. show out. How do you decide where to go? In this building? No. Which projects? If you say somebody says Jean Georges, come to Dubai. Open a place, I'll back it. When, how often do you say no? I usually contemplate the way I'm going. Because, you know, my inspiration is from uh, traveling. So going to Hong Kong, going to Japan, going to uh, France, Italy, whatever it is. I bring some new concept there, but I come back with multiple ideas. And try to source the ingredients, you know, the best Parmesan, the best uh, olive oil. A little more expensive now, but still. Yeah. Are you, you know. shocked by the, how expensive it's gotten? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It's, uh, but because you, you have to, you buy it also. I buy it. We sell it as a as a bottle. We use it in most of the dishes. 
you know, motor went up, uh, everything's up. You know. What was it like? I wasn't here in 86, okay? But you hear stories, New York was rough in many places. Dining scene was not like it was today. What was it like when you first started in New York and how, where do you see it going from here? I mean, when I arrived in New York in 86, so the Fulton Fish Market, which we reinvent today, but I went to the Union Square Market, for example. They're selling only potato and apples. Today, you go to Union Square, we have five kinds of uh, carrots, five kinds of beets. We have all kind of uh, tomatoes and heirlooms and uh, grains and beautiful things. And actually, here at the market, we're selling Union Square Market vegetables from 20 farmers seven days a week. Mm -hmm. So you can come here and buy your produce. You can and, smell and you, it, you can eat it, you can buy it, you can take it home. Well, I can do this. You, you noted, you noted, because <laughs> yes. I'm just going to do it. Hold on. Oh, my little macro. Holy macro. Okay. Holy so, macro. <laughs> yes, I'm getting a fish. <laughs> yes. It's fine. He, he said it was okay. So These they, are from small boat fishermen. I want to make that we, point clear. Yeah. We only buy... You're supporting families that go on the water. One boat. Supporting farmers from 100 miles around New York. Small boats. They leave at 6 in the morning, come back at 12. We fish is here in the afternoon. Versus big boat, I put a fish on ice for a week. On, we try to have zero waste here. Whatever you see here goes into the restaurant tomorrow. So no waste at all. So, <laughs> well, it's last call for this poor, beautiful mackerel. Yes. Uh, the one thing I, the one thing I do worry about with New York, you're obviously hugely successful. Uh, I know Eric Repair a little bit, amazing. Obviously, I know Great Tommy Fertitta. He's a different business model. Um, is there still room for the independent startup chef? Because real estate is so freaking expensive here. Could you start, if you were Jean-Georges 2.0 and you were 18 today, could you start a restaurant? I would start all over again. Could Absolutely. you afford to here? I would find people, backers, you know, maybe you would help me a still little bit. Still holding a fish. <laughs> I know, I can't believe it. I don't know what but to do with it. I think if you are, you know, there's a lot of young talents behind us. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna reinvent the food. It's probably more vegetables. Oh, my fish. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll buy that now. He's going to eat touched it. it. I got I to touch So I think there's many young talents, you know, on, uh, but I think the plan forward as well is going to be important. We're bringing, next month, I'm going to bring ABCV, another sister restaurant that we have who's, uh, who's plant-based. We're going to bring here to the tin building. So I think more vegetable forward. In the old days, we're eating big, top of, like, you know, the old days, we're eating big steaks with bad meat. Yeah. Today, we have people want smaller, Beautiful wagyu. They want to smell it. They want quality. Quality pays always. I hope. I hope my folks aren't watching. I love my parents, mom and dad. You know I love you. But for us, going, you know, as a kid, we never lot dining out. It was like Denny's. You know what I mean? So I'm learning a lot about in the last 30 years. So about no artichokes for you. No, it's it's. But you learn. You know, and and you know, there's like one menu, and here's what you're going to eat. Right, moon over my hammy. I think it was a sandwich I remember from the Denny's menu. But now you've got vegetarianism. You got. Veganism, you got pescatarianism, you got gluten, a lot of celiac issues. Absolutely. How do you, and you've got a, a vegetarian, vegan restaurants, ABB, ABCV, yeah. ABCV in, uh, the, well, there used to be a huge furniture store above <laughs> yeah, you, that's yeah, one yeah. floor now. But we're going to bring it in as well. How do, you, how do you manage with all the, the sort of dietary changes that we have seen? I mean, you come to this building, for example, there's something for everyone, everyone. On every pocket, too, we have an egg sandwich in the morning, you can have a crepe, you can have some caviar, you can have some. Fish and chips, you can have a, a steak in the brasserie, a burger, dumplings in the Chinese. So is, we it, have... is this the model? This, is this the building so. you think you can I replicate so. this in I other places? So. Absolutely. All right, we got, we've got to wrap it up. Can, is there anyone we get a show? we got about 75 hungry people over here. Please. The crew that made this happen. Everybody. Thank you. Jean-Georges, 
Thank you very much. Merci beaucoup, Merci chef. Bien. Bon appétit, everyone. Oh yeah, bon appétit. We are gonna, folks. We're gonna actually start eating this in a second. This is made by his amazing staff. Thank you, thank you all. Thank you, Sorry about the fish. Thank you. I'm gonna buy the fish. That's it for live. <laughs> last call, live at the Tin Building. Thanks again, everybody, for hosting us. Now, time to celebrate all of this. Wish you were here. We'll see you tomorrow night. Be well. With my fish. <laughs> wow, amazing. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.